As we begin this morning, I'd like us to pray as we will continue to pray for what's taking place in Ukraine. And uh, I know many of you have been following along each week. We've been having a uh, just a flyer also on the website, a list of different things that we can pray for about Ukraine. And so I encourage you to uh, do that as an individual or as a family. We also have for families with young children uh, downstairs in the children's area, there's a a family prayer list and a way that you with young children can pray for some of the things that are going on in Ukraine. So let's bow our heads and pray about what's taking place in Ukraine as well as preparing our hearts for God's Word this morning. Father, as we come before you, we are in awe of your goodness. And as we consider what's taking place in Ukraine and the evil that is going on there, Lord, we know that people are looking for hope, looking for answers. And and Lord, I pray for uh, the church in Ukraine, uh, for different ministries there, and and, uh, how they're sharing the hope of Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering and, and evil. Lord, I pray for those who have lost loved ones there. Lord, that you would just give them strength, comfort, and peace that only you can give. We pray for uh, leaders. And we just ask that you would help leaders to make decisions that would be according to your guidance. Based in love rather than pride and arrogance and hate. Lord, we pray and know that you are in control. And Lord, we just look, even in the midst of these uncertain times, we are so grateful that we can trust you. And as we look at your word this morning, may we be encouraged by the principles that you have for us today. May nothing keep us and distract us from the principles of your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know... The church and Christian relationships are to be a reflection of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ and you get married, you are to, and you and your spouse are to reflect Christ in your marriage. As Christians in our friendships, we are to be godly friends. And as a church, we are to demonstrate love toward one another, toward those around us, even toward our enemies as followers of Christ. We're called to live a godly life. Sometimes it can be very challenging, can't it? And oftentimes, unfortunately, Christians can respond in an opposite way. I heard it said one time, Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. Very sad remark. Tom Rainier, who uh, works with churches and has written a lot about churches, is, uh, he, he has a blog. And, and one of his blogs a while back was about arguments in church business meetings. And he had, he had reached out and asked for people to send in some of the things that had taken place in, in church business meetings. And, and there's a long list, and I'm only going to share a few of them, but uh, some of them are pretty, pretty 
humorously sad, or sadly humorous, I guess would be a better way to put it. One church, they had a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Should it be black or brown? Should it be two, three, or four drawers? I guess they uh, passed that on to a cabinet meeting of their church. One church uh, had a petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. We're actually thinking about that. I don't know, do we know anybody on our staff that's not clean-shaven? That was a joke. Uh, A church had a dispute, a fight, over whether the Lord's Supper should expand and have cran grape juice rather than just grape juice as part of their communion service. And uh, there's, there's a bunch more. There was a major conflict in the church when the youth borrowed a crockpot. It hadn't been used for years, but they were very concerned that the youth might misuse it. That leads us to another disagreement over the, if, whether they should use the term potluck instead of pot blessing. <laughs> Good luck in working that one out. And... Oh, there's there's some good ones here, but uh, one they had it ended up going over into two business meetings. Evidently, they had to call a special second business meeting whether the church should purchase a weed eater. And we look at those and we sort of laugh. But guess what happened in those and many others? We see that. Some of them caused churches to split apart, caused relationships to be destroyed, and and the testimony for Christ was greatly damaged. Churches struggling, individual Christians struggling, and, and relationships broken between people who are to demonstrate the love of Christ. In this morning's passage in 1 Peter, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, we see that Peter is sharing what our relationships should look like as followers of Christ. And in that, he shares two commands, two main commands in these verses that we are to follow in order to have godly Christian relationships. We could call it family love. And the first command seen in verses 22 and following of chapter 1 is the command to love. Follow along as I read verses 22 through 25 of 1 Peter 1. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word which, or by which the Gospel was preached to you. Now, as we have been seeing and continuing on, Peter uses what we could call the indicative imperative flow. He shares the indicative, the facts of what we have in Christ, the blessings that we have, the faithfulness of God, and then the challenge on how are we going to live differently. The command, an imperative is a command, a command that we're called to follow. And we see it again here in these verses. Beginning in verse 22, he says, Since you have purified your souls, you are to love. 
For those of you who are English majors or Greek majors, it's a perfect participle. The idea of a past action with continuing results. Because of what has happened in your life through Christ. Because you have been purified. Because Jesus Christ has saved you. He is speaking to people who are followers of Christ. Since Jesus Christ has changed your life, you are commanded to love. As Josh read earlier, 1 John 4, verses 7-8 through says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then he talks about what this love is to look like. This love is to be sincere. The word sincere means without hypocrisy. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 says, let, uh, or let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. A sincere love has the goal of giving, not getting. And it's important to understand that. You want to have a good marriage relationship? Focus on your spouse. You see, if, if I love my spouse as God loves me, and I'm called to love my spouse as God loves me, I am going to be focused on their needs. They are the ones that we see there in Romans 12, 10, we're to give preference to them in any relationship. But oftentimes, what is my goal? What can I get? What can I receive? What benefits me? And Peter is saying, no, let this love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Let it, be ha- or let it have the goal of giving, not getting. The word translated sincere comes from a Latin word which means without wax. Now that's an interesting statement, without wax. But what would happen is porcelain dealers would, would fill any imperfections in their products with wax to try to cover up the errors. But sincere pieces were those without wax. Our love is to be sincere. It's not to be hypocritical. It's not to be focused on getting for ourselves. Rather, this sincere love is a love that gives. And not only is it to be sincere, but it's to be fervent. Fervent, the idea of striving with all our energy. We're to love one another. It says, fervently loving with a pure heart. The admirable goals and desires in that love, but striving to the full extent with proper motives and actions. Peter goes on later in this letter in 1 Peter 4.8 and he says this, and above all things have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. If I love someone, my life and my relationship with them is going to be a relationship that has forgiveness as a key element. Love covers a multitude of sins. What are they doing that that may annoy me, but I need to just overlook it and say, you know, I'm sure there's things that I do that annoy them. It's a forgiving love. It will cause us to have grace 
and forgiveness as we deal with the people around us. Now, now it's interesting that, that Peter actually uses two different words for love here in verse 22. When we read it in the English, those two words are love and love. But there's more than one word translated love in the Greek language. And Peter uses two different words in these verses. When he's talking, or in this verse, when he's talking about the sincere love, it comes from the Greek word or the Greek root philos, Philadelphia. You're probably familiar with, they call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. It comes out of the definition, that, that word Philadelphia comes out of that root. And then when he goes on and talks about the fervent love, he uses the word or term agape, which is unconditional love. My love is not to be based on the person I'm loving. It's not just a response to their actions. They do something nice to me, I do something nice to them. It's to be even in spite of their actions when they are acting unnice. Sorry, English teachers. When, I, when they are acting rudely toward me, I'm still to respond with love. Have you ever tried to have an argument with somebody who just responds with kindness? Solomon talked about that as he wrote the, wrote the Proverbs. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was pretty wise. And he said this. He said that a soft answer turns away anger. But as followers of Christ, we're to be the ones with the soft answer. We're to be the ones who have that fervent love, the unconditional love. So why did Peter use two different words? Well, the philos love. Brotherly love reminds us that we're to have the same likenesses. As followers of Christ, we're to have the same goals. We are to have that connection as fellow followers of Christ. But the agape love reminds us that we are called to overlook our differences. And both of those are necessary to get along. To love as family. And we should have this fervent love because we are born again through the Word of God. Again, that indicative imperative. We are, our hearts have been purified. We've been made pure. And then he goes on and says we're to love. That sincere and fervent love. And then he goes on and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. But he reminds us of the enduring word of God which causes us to love. To love fervently. That word fervent was used of a weightlifter who would stretch their muscles to the limits to build up muscles. We have seen people who were fervent. I had the opportunity on Friday night to go to the Helena Bighorns game and, and I saw some fervent fans. There were a lot of fervent fans. It was a great game, by the way. But... Uh, 
especially this group of people sort of down and off to my right a little bit, and the guy right behind me, they were very fervent fans. But we're called to have that fervency in our love. Those fans were driven to be as loud and sometimes obnoxious as they could be. But we're called to love loudly. No matter what that person is that we're called to love, no matter what that person does that we're called to love, we are to love them fervently. And again, the, the word is the picture of the weightlifter. I remember in high school we had a, a universal gym was our, our main weight machine. And, and I remember the cross-country team, we, we'd go down there and we were a bunch of, uh, <clears throat> well, the football team called us wimps, but uh, we had other terms. We, anyway, a lot more kind terms. But, but what we would do is, is the universal gym, they would have those pins. You know, they have the, the stack of weights and you put the pin and then you, you pull down or do your legs or whatever. And so what we would do when we would get done and the pins were fairly high on the stack of weights, we would go at the end and we'd put them all the way down at the bottom. So when the football team came in, they'd start and they, whoa! <laughs> now that's the hypocrisy of who we were. Which uh, So we had lots of wax, if you remember back to earlier in the message. But the stretching, working as hard as you can, it is hard to love. But Peter said, as a family that works together, as Christians that work together, as Christians that have a testimony for the world, as the world watches us, we're to have a fervent and sincere love. And that love is only possible through the Word of God. So the question we have, we have two questions this morning. The first one is this, what are you doing to stretch your love in your relationships. How hard are you working at it? But then as we go into the first verses of chapter 2, we see another command. And the command is to desire the pure milk of the Word. Desire. Follow along as I read the first three verses of 1 Peter 2. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The last verses of chapter 1 and the first verses of chapter 2 are connected together. Now, oftentimes when you see a chapter break, you stop. When Peter wrote this letter, he did not write it Okay, now I'm coming to chapter 2. Now we're going to talk about something different. No, he wrote one letter. We broke it into chapters later on, helped people find their place better, right? Sort of like a book with page numbers. It helps to figure out where you're at. It, it helps to, to follow along. But they're connected together. And so we see that, that the connection between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is the Word. 
In the end of chapter 1, the Word endures. It lasts forever. Unlike us, unlike the things we have, unlike the human goals we have, the Word of God endures forever. The quote from Isaiah chapter 40, that we all fade and fall apart, but God's Word lasts forever. And then we see that that Word allows us to love as we're called to love, but it also helps us grow and we're to desire that Word, or the, the Word of God. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, it's interesting what He does here in these first verses of chapter 2. What He does is He he gives what we're to do, but then in verse 3, He shares the indicative. But he asked it as a question, the fact. So he says, you need to, instead of having these five things we're going to talk about in just a second in our human relationships with others, we are to love or desire the sincere milk of the Word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If God is good, if God is gracious, then you should desire, crave His Word. A rhetorical question. Peter was confident that the Lord was gracious to taste and see the idea of experiencing. He had experienced the goodness of God. If that's the case, crave the Word. In Psalm 34, 8, David shares a similar statement. He says this, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now David wrote that psalm, Psalm 34, when he was in the land of the Philistines. He had been chased by Saul. His life was in danger. And it was so bad he had to go over into the land of his enemies. Remember the Philistines. That's where that guy Goliath was from. So the Philistines weren't David's biggest fans. They hated him. And so he goes over to the land of the Philistines. In fact, he even feigned that he was insane so they sort of stay away from him but in the midst of those horrendous circumstances David could say taste and see that the Lord is good and just like David we can see the goodness of God and so if we can see the goodness of God then we need to follow along what Peter tells us to do in verses 1 and 2 and he says that what things that we need to get rid of and what we need to crave We need to get rid of, and we can think of it in a food sense. Some of you are like, food sense? Yeah, we're getting close to lunch. So I'm sure this this illustration will be very appropriate. But the things we're to put off in our relationships with others, the things we're to get rid of, these attitudes and actions that we are not to have, sort of like the junk food. And he lists five things. And by the way, he uses the word all three times in the middle of it, so we need to get rid of it completely. We see that we're to get rid of malice, which means ill will. Deceit comes from the idea of of baiting the hook. It means to manipulate to get your way. Hypocrisy 
not being genuine, pretending to be someone different, envy, being disappointed and angry when someone else succeeds, when they're blessed, or happy when they fail or that their misfortune and evil speaking or slander speaking down or evil of others. These are the natural consequences and characteristics of our life when we are not recognizing the goodness of God. It's amazing. When I complain about my circumstances, I have a tendency to be rotten toward other people around me. And Peter's saying, listen, God is good. Therefore, you don't be bad. You don't put on these rotten attitudes and perform these rotten actions. Instead, we are to crave the Word. The Word will help us grow. The Word is the one that does the work. It's not our power, our ability, our strength. It's God's Word working in our lives. Job 23.12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. And this Word is pure. It's not watered down. It's not 2% or skim. It's whole. We're commanded to crave the Word. And it's not the Word plus Oftentimes in our world today, we have the word plus philosophy, the word plus human wisdom, the word plus my own intentions, my own works, my own plans, but it's the word itself. And as a newborn babe, desire, crave the word. I was uh, doing a little babysitting for my daughter and son-in-law here a couple weeks ago, and and. We do it every once in a while, and usually it's my wife and I, but she had something too, so I was flying solo, which uh, things started out really pretty good. We were having a good evening, and then all of a sudden I wasn't doing a great job of watching the time because this little uh, girl decided it was time for her bottle. And I needed to heat the bottle, which I hadn't started doing. And so I was trying to heat the bottle to try to, and trying to console her, and neither of them was working very well. I, mean, I was doing okay. Heating the bottle was just taking a lot longer than I expected it to take. And she was <clears throat> letting me know. But that's what we're to be like with the Word of God. We are to crave it. She couldn't wait for the bottle. Literally, she couldn't wait for the bottle. We should crave the Word of God. But oftentimes we spend our, our days at the junk food aisle. The stuff that doesn't do us any good. When Peter is saying, listen, you can have the junk food you can even enjoy the hamburger helper. You notice I've waited for this illustration to the very end of the message because I know I'm going to lose you completely after I say this. When God offers us the filet mignon, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, desire His word. 
And guess what? As we desire His Word, we grow in it. As we grow in it, we love more like God loves. A love that is sincere and a love that is fervent. And as we continue to grow, our relationships grow. Our relationships with others grow as God is working in our life. And so Peter is saying, listen, your family, love and desire, desire and love, they fit together and we're called to do both. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that in, in you, we have love, we have forgiveness, we have hope. Lord, help us to show love and forgiveness to one another. Help our relationships to be a, a reflection of your relationship toward us. And Lord, help us desire your word more and more to grow by it. We praise you for what you're doing in our lives. We pray that you will continue to work. And we are so grateful for your faithfulness in our church ministry, in your network of praise, in our individual lives. Continue to work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.